The History Channel original podcast. Sports history this week, March 12th, 1996. I'm Kalen Jones. The Denver Nuggets are hoisting up shots the morning before a matchup against Shaquille O'Neal and the Orlando Magic. Typically, these practice shoot-arounds only attract a handful of journalists. And yet today, the media has shown up in droves. I still at this point, like, I'm thinking, well, Shaq is in town. As soon as the Nuggets end the shoot-around session, it becomes clear the reporters aren't here for Shaq at all. They're awaiting a six-foot-one, 27-year-old with light skin, a slender frame, a goatee, and thoughtful eyes. Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Reporters rush to him. And when they ask me, what do you think about the American flag? I said, oh, I'm still on the same stuff. For more than a year, Abdul Rauf has opted not to stand whenever the national anthem is played during the pregame ceremonies. And for more than a year, the decision has gone unnoticed. That is, until a few days ago, when one reporter approached the Nuggets and asked what was going on. In a short interview, Abdul Rauf was happy to explain why he has chosen not to stand for the flag. When the article comes out, it's just a small blurb. And yet, his explanation sets off a firestorm. Media requests to the team triple. Everyone wants a soundbite. And it's like, it seemed before I even got home, man, the thing was global. Today, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf faces consequences for not standing during the national anthem. 20 years before Colin Kaepernick, why does Abdul Rauf make this controversial choice? And how does he fit into the long line of athletes who have chosen to take a stand? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's December 10th, 1988. Bright lights shine down on the Exact Tech Arena in Gainesville, Florida. The home team Florida Gators are going up against Louisiana State University, led by their freshman point guard. Chris Jackson, the birth name of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. A small, wiry guard with a flat top runs through a crowd of teammates giving high fives. LSU gets possession of the ball first, and it gets passed to Jackson. He fakes out a defender to create room, and... Oh, speaking of... Yes, just inside the three-point line is Chris Jackson. This is just the fifth game of Chris Jackson's college career, and his first ever away game at this level. In the first half, he scores 22 points, 
driving by defenders to the hoop, or bouncing around the perimeter and draining jump shots. Look at this kid. Look at the So to have someone show out as a freshman this way in and of itself was holy crap. This is Dave Zirin, a sports editor at The Nation magazine and host of the podcast Edge of Sports. Doing what he was able to do on pure speed and shooting ability and this quick release that had more in common with Steph Curry than anything that the NBA has otherwise seen. I got to say, we were staring at the future of basketball. Chris Herring is a senior writer at Sports Illustrated covering basketball. He literally looked like kind of a Tom and Jerry sort of figure as far as just the way he treated defenses. The game is over and LSU on the road wins it 111-101. We're gasping at what we saw from Chris Jackson tonight. Chris Jackson is an exceptional ball player, but in college, it's not the only thing on his mind. He grew up closely connected to Christianity, but is now having complicated feelings around it. For this story, we got to speak with him personally. You just got to believe and you can't question God. And I'm like, man, that's just, that was unsatisfactory. I mean, it has to be an answer. In this period of reflection, Jackson's basketball coach, Dale Brown, hands him a book the autobiography of Malcolm X. I don't remember the actual time of day, no place I was at, because Dale was in the habit of giving us material. And I went to my dorm room, and I couldn't put it down. In 2022, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf released a memoir titled In the Blink of an Eye. In it, Abdul-Raouf talks about learning how the United States' financial, legal, and political systems are largely controlled by white people that what he's been taught about the U.S. and about the world may not all be accurate. I'm going to be real with you. Like, it's a white coach. (laughs) LSU giving a black kid the book of Malcolm, you know, Malcolm X's autobiography. Did you guys find that strange or was that normal? (laughs) Look, I say that that all the time. And he's the whitest of white coming out of North Dakota. (laughs) You know what I mean? But but Dale was well-connected, man. I mean, he, he could get on the phone and call Dick Gregory. He could get on the phone and call Farrakhan. I mean, he was in those circles. Jackson is inspired by Malcolm X, his courage, compassion, and intellect. It affects him enough to begin feeling more self-assured. I was just fascinated by his story and how his mind worked and how courageous he was. I wanted what he had. The book even opens him to think about belief systems outside of Christianity. I was searching, but, and I didn't know where to look. While Jackson goes through a personal transformation, he's dominating on the basketball court. By the end of his first year at LSU, he's selected as SEC Player of the Year and lands on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Donning the purple and gold of LSU, he calmly looks off into the distance. The words, he's a pistol, race the bottom. In his second year at LSU, he plays with the now legendary big man, Shaquille O'Neal. Yet, It's Jackson who again wins SEC Player of the Year and is named the consensus first-team All-American. After that, he enters the NBA draft. The Denver Nuggets select Chris Jackson from LSU. 
Jackson was hyped out of high school and again out of college. But his rookie year does not go as expected, at least personally. For the first time, he's not the focal point of the offense. He has a role coming off the bench, only starting 19 out of the squad's 82 games. The season is longer, the fans are meaner, and it takes a toll on his body and mind. He's named to the NBA's all-rookie second team, but still, something within him feels off. Personally, Jackson is in search of greater meaning in life. Basketball just isn't enough. For him, there's too much suffering in the world. Suffering he's seen, suffering he's aware of. In the summer of 1991, Jackson opens up the Quran, the religious text of Islam, for the first time alongside a friend. Here's an interview he did for a 2004 documentary. I read another page. It was about two or three pages. I looked up and I had almost like water in my eyes. I said, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be a Muslim. In August of 1991, he recites the Shahada, a declaration of faith in one God and his messenger, and becomes a Muslim. He's given the name Mahmoud, meaning elegant and praiseworthy, along with Abdul Rauf, meaning servant of the beneficent and kind. Entering the fall of 1991, Abdul Rauf has found some spiritual stability, but he's still struggling with basketball. The NBA isn't what he expected. In his second season, he plays worse than the first, averaging just 10 points a game, down from 14. After that season, he stumbles upon a magazine article calling him a bust. He feels depressed and wants out of the sport altogether. In his memoir, he writes, it was a wake-up call to realize how I was being perceived by the outside world. As I put the magazine back in the rack, I was a changed man. Going into his third season, Abdul Rauf improves his diet and commits to training. It helps him get faster, build stamina. By the start of the season, his whole game improves. The Nuggets finally make him their starting point guard. He starts 81 games and finishes the season averaging 19 points and four assists. At the end of the year, his efforts are recognized and he's given the most improved player award. From his third season onward, Abdul Rauf looks to solidify himself as a dominant player in the NBA. On February 4th, 1996, more than 17,000 fans have come out to Denver's McNichol Sports Arena to see the Nuggets play the Chicago Bulls, a team featuring Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, and... Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. The crowd is amped up. It's been six years since the Denver Nuggets selected Chris Jackson, who has since legally changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. He's come a long way since the draft, but it's not clear whether he's ready to compete with the NBA's best, like the 41-3 Bulls. The Bulls have won 18 straight. The Nuggets have won 18 total. Michael down low with uh, Mahmoud. Inside to Jordan In black sneakers and a white jersey, Abdul Rauf sidles down the left side of the court looking for a play. He speeds up and tosses a three. He gets the ball back on the next possession and speeds down the court. And now Abdul Rauf against Jordan. A Nuggets teammate sets the screen to create room for Abdul Rauf. 
Jordan struggles to get around it. Rose with the pull-up. That's what he does well. And he got scored in a foul. You're not falling asleep on this guy. He'll bring it in looking like he's going to make a play, and he's a quick shooter. I don't think Steve Kerr can keep up with him. Nuggets lead by 20. The second half of the Bulls-Nuggets game begins. The Bulls are down by 25 points. Michael Jordan looks to take over the game. He weaves to the basket. By the fourth quarter, the Bulls pull ahead 87 to 84. But then the Nuggets begin to surge back. Abdul Rauf continues to light up the best team in the NBA. Jesse Washington writes for ESPN's Anscape. He remembers this game well. MJ had no answer for him, man. So to me, that was more important because he did that against one of the greatest teams of all time. Jordan and Abdul Rose. The big guns came to play here tonight. In his six years in the NBA, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf has worked hard toward becoming a very good player. A very good player who, for months, has chosen not to stand for the national anthem. But a couple weeks after this Bulls game, someone finally notices. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you ask Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf when he started protesting the national anthem, he can't give an exact answer. At some point during the 1994-95 season, he began removing himself during the pregame ceremonies, quietly going to the locker room or getting treatment in the training room. More than a year later, in March of 1996, someone finally notices. A radio reporter approaches the Denver Nuggets and asks if Abdul Rauf could talk more about it. So I'm like, no problem. I was on a journey, man. I'm trying to be my own version of a Malcolm, right? I don't want to live to survive. I want to live. And so... I made my mind that I'm going to live and die with a free conscience and a free soul. On March 12, 1996, the result of that interview reveals itself. A horde of news reporters wanting to know his opinion on the American flag. Again, Abdul Rauf is happy to oblige. Look, the flag is a symbol of tyranny and oppression. 
Am I saying everything in America is bad? No, there's good that exists. But as a Muslim, wherever bad is, even if it's in Saudi Arabia, we don't stand for it. We can't be for God and oppression at the same time. Abdul Rauf drives home after the morning shoot-around, just as he normally would. But when he returns to the arena for the game, the coach calls him into his office. He tells Abdul Rauf, if he doesn't stand for the anthem that night, he's suspended. I said, so I'm not going to stand. Just a month after the Bulls game, on March 12, 1996, NBA Commissioner David Stern suspends Mahmoud Abdul Rauf indefinitely. And it's like, it's say before I even got home, man, the thing was global. And I really understood then even more so, even more so, the power of the voice of the athlete. In the coming days, it's impossible to escape the controversy. Dave Zirin remembers. It caused not just shockwaves, but a reactionary shockwave. Newspapers across the country run editorials and write-ins condemning Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. They highlighted tyranny and oppression, tyranny and oppression. They branded me this radical. They put caricatures or whatever up there of being an Arab because Arabs and Islam, this terrorist thing. News channels fill segments with montages of angry fans, most bringing up his paycheck. Here's one from the Cinema Guild documentary by the Don's Early Light. I feel that uh, he should stand up. I mean, he's in America. He gets paid by an American company, so. I can understand his religious beliefs, but there are rules to the game, and he has to abide by the rules like everyone else. Islamophobic stunts occur around Denver in protests of Abdul Rauf. Mosques are harassed by people loudly playing the national anthem while members attempt to pray. Were you surprised that the vitriol from, you know, fans or even just like people who were not fans, like how they were reacting to what you did? No, I wasn't surprised. And the reason I wasn't surprised is because at that point, I read enough history to know that the masses, by and large, are not going to be in favor. Abdul Rauf's decision not to stand for the anthem comes after years of reflection. His conversion to Islam brings about an intellectual awakening. Learning about the hypocrisies and inequality within American institutions and foreign policy. He says he's protesting against injustice. The American Civil Liberties Union and NBA Players Union back Abdul Rauf. In his memoir, he notes many in the black community stand behind him as well. The nation's Dave Zirin says there was likely a lot more too. We could have built him the amen chorus that he deserved, but we had no outlet for doing so. I've gone around and spoken about how this moment changed my life in other venues, and people have come up to me and said same thing where I was, but we, we had nothing except, you know, two Dixie cups and a string to let each other know what we were doing. Meanwhile, the voices against Abdul Rauf are loud and clear. In addition to the blatant opposition from the outside, 
the Colorado Muslim Society declares that his positions contradict Islamic teaching. Basketball Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar asked Abdul Rauf to reconsider his stance. Houston Rockets star center Hakeem Olajuwon says, quote, the Muslim teaching is to obey and respect. So talk about being left on an island. The news cycles surrounding Abdul Rauf just keep crashing in, wave after wave after wave. It was electric. I was at college at the time. And, you know, this is before phones. It meant gathering at 7 p.m. in front of the TV in the common lounge. And so there would be this gathering, you know, at 6.59 p.m. to watch SportsCenter and find out the latest with the Rauf story. Because experts agree, what Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf is doing is significant. Do you remember hearing about it for the first time where he decided the protests or maybe that the NBA decided to suspend him for what he was doing? I mean, it was a bold move. Gotham Chopra is the director of the Showtime series Shut Up and Dribble, a series about the changing political and cultural role of an athlete through time. I think we as fans become so accustomed to the national anthem. It's just sort of like part of the ritual. You don't really think about like what it means. Jesse Washington. I feel like he was out there by himself, man, because this was the peak era of the apolitical athlete. You know, we had the 60s and even the 70s where athletes were very outspoken. Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, you know, Kurt Flood, all these athletes standing up for black people, standing up for their own rights. John Carlos, Tommy Smith. And then Jordan came along and led this commercial revolution where the athletes removed any trace of social and political and racial consciousness from their public persona. It's March 14th, 1996, just two days since Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's actions took the league by storm. And he's back. He decides to return standing for the anthem with the idea that he can still use his leverage as an NBA player to get his message across. To abide by league rules, he will stand, but in a position of prayer, with his two hands cupped towards his face. It's not enough. Abdul Rauf ends up taking some time off from the team. He's not sure what his future with the Nuggets looks like. Sure enough, by year's end, they trade him to the Sacramento Kings with two years left on his contract. 1997 is his first year in California, and he plays well there. But when 1998 arrives, things begin to change. His minutes on the court drastically fall. Reporters start approaching him, asking why he's not playing. As the season comes to an end, so does his time in California. His contract ends, and the Kings offer him a new contract well below his value. So, he becomes a free agent. And then as soon as his contract ended a year or two later, nobody would sign him. He's 29 years old, still at the top of his game, and nobody would sign him. In 1998, Abdul Rauf is one of the league's most efficient scorers, ranking first in points per minute. Yet, in 1999, he's playing pro ball in Turkey. Sports Illustrated's Chris Herring. And even if you did want to make that argument, it's a hell of a coincidence that his career was cut short. I didn't want to jump to conclusions like so many people. Like, you know, just because somebody do something to you, it doesn't mean it's always connected to their races. Two years later, 
he does get another chance in the NBA when the Vancouver Grizzlies sign him in 2000, but he only plays 11 minutes a game for them, then gets released at the end of the year. But as I start looking at patterns, right, and I say, you know what, yeah, this is a setup. And I can see, I can see the playbook. And that's when I started to realize that there's collusion going on, that, that I was being blackballed. The cost of Abdul-Rahus' protests doesn't stop at his career. He faces racist, personal attacks over his decision not to stand for the anthem, death threats, garbage bags full of hate mail. He says all of this, it's a major violation. You can't totally be at, at peace because you're always having to pretty much look over your shoulder. He's building a dream home for his family in Mississippi that becomes the target of repeated vandalism. The letters KKK are spray-painted around the house. Someone drives a large vehicle through his garage. And on July 30th, 2001... Investigators are claiming arson in the early morning blaze at the home of Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. The house, which was under construction, was significantly damaged. However, no one was injured. It, it was tough, man, to see my, my wife at the time go through that, being concerned about your children. Ultimately, the authorities investigating whether his home was intentionally lit on fire or not did not find enough evidence. So he settles with the insurance company. But to Abdul Rauf, this isn't a story to pity him. It's further confirmation that he needs to stand tall. I'm not going to be intimidated away from what I believe. God is in control how long I live and when I die and how I die. You know, and so that was my philosophy and it still is my philosophy. So why, why do you think athletes with opinions are so threatening to America? We love our athletes. We love our heroes. We love our celebrities when they stay in their lane. Gotham Chopra again. You know, and we particularly believe in this expression of like keeping politics out of sports. Sports are politics. Sports are everything that exists in the world, exists in sports. Abdul Rauf's story doesn't only fit into a history of athletes being told to stay in their lane, but black athletes. The likes of Paul Robeson, Jesse Owens, Leonard Bates, Althea Gibson, Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, among others. Jesse Washington again. Sports is one of the few areas in American life where black people have been permitted to excel. And therefore, black people gain fame and a voice and a platform disproportionately in sports. And yet, no matter the decade, there is still fury when a black athlete speaks out. It's okay for a politician to say what I said. It's okay for a scholar like Noam Chomsky or somebody. But God forbid this black little boy that came out of poverty, that we, America, right, has done this for, which that's a whole nother conversation, right? After Abdul Rauf's home is destroyed by a fire in July of 2001, his career in the NBA is over. He has pro basketball stints outside the U.S. Russia, Italy, Saudi Arabia, Japan. He begins coaching as well, even taking requests for speaking. But 
in a way, I found him to be, you know, very scarred by the experience, which was one of the reasons why he never, ever did the whole 10th anniversary, let's talk, so where is Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf now? He never played that game, ever. And the only reason he came forward when he did was after Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. In week three of the 2016 NFL preseason, the San Francisco 49ers are going up against the Green Bay Packers. But before the game begins, Niners quarterback Colin Kaepernick sits on the bench as other players stand along the sideline to observe the national anthem. 49ers acknowledged Friday night Kaepernick did not stand for the national anthem before the game. Kaepernick makes the decision in order to bring attention to and protest racial injustice and police brutality. I'm going to continue to stand with the people that are being oppressed. Uh, To me, this is something that has to change. When Kaepernick took a knee, I immediately thought about Mahmoud. Turns out, he isn't alone. Abdul-Rauf begins receiving more requests to speak. His name starts popping up in more articles, podcasts, everywhere. It begins to become clear just how much of an impact his 1996 protest has really had. Consciously or not, that was the template. He was really the first person that I know of and probably period to protest in that fashion at an American sporting event. And during the national anthem, which it's that anthem and that flag, which is the object of so much reverence and distorted history and symbolism, Colin Kaepernick plays a crucial and pivotal role in the Black Lives Matter movement, which culminates in the summer of 2020 and the response to the murder of George Floyd, and that changed the world. So Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf helped change the world. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's story has continued its renaissance that began with Kaepernick's protest. In 2022, Abdul-Raouf published a memoir. In 2023, Showtime released a documentary about it. All of this is long-awaited recognition for a man that has faced so much violence over a peaceful protest. He made the kind of sacrifice that none of us today have to make in order for me to get here on your podcast and to talk that talk and to write the things I write. Like, that changed the environment and made it more receptive for us to demand what human beings deserve. Shut Up and Dribble director Gotham Chopra says Abdul Rauf has made a massive difference in the league to a point where it's easier for black athletes to stand up. LeBron and his generation are the heirs to that. Like, you know, LeBron, Carmelo, D-Wade. And now you have a generation of Jalen Brown, John Morant. Like, goddess would just, you know, really wear it on their sleeve. And that's just natural to them. I really think, like... You know, the players that now today have the empowerment to go out and make a difference stand on the shoulders of people like Mahmoud that came generations before. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is repeatedly asked, would you do it again? And his answer is the same every time. Yes. I've been conditioned because we grew in a culture where we're conditioned to just play the game Don't hurt people's feelings. You might lose your job. You might lose this. I don't want to live like that. And so at that moment, 
I said, you know what? I'm working toward getting to the point where I'm free. My mind was, I just want to live the truth, you know, the way I see it. I don't want to be silent anymore. Thanks for listening to Sports History This Week. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. Other notable sports stories that happened this week? 1979, MLB Commissioner Bowie Kuhn orders teams to give equal access to female reporters. And 1982, Michael Jordan and the University of North Carolina hold the ball for more than seven minutes to preserve a one-point lead. The controversial game leads to a shot clock. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email us at sportspod at history.com or leave us a voicemail at 212-351-0410. We love to hear from our fans and non-fans too. Special thanks to our guests, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, NBA star, writer, and activist. Thank you as well to Jesse Washington, a senior writer with ESPN's Anscape. Gotham Chopra, director of the Showtime documentary Shut Up and Dribble, Chris Herring, senior writer at SI covering the NBA, and Dave Zirin, the sports editor at The Nation magazine. This episode was produced by Cooper McKim, story edited by me, Kalen Jones, and sound designed by Bill Moss. Sports History This Week is also produced by David Ingber. Our associate producers are Emma Fredericks and Hazel May. Our senior producer is Ben Dickstein. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Sports History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.